Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Eric Devin and Rich Allen. Eight games down, and that feels about the right time to inspect the board. So who sprung a surprise, and who has also sprung a surprise, maybe just not such a good one? All of that, and a look at the European action coming midweek after the latest headlines. Saint-Étienne added more to the woe in Monaco on Friday night as Wabi Kazri grabbed a double for Lever. The 2-0 win sends the home side into fourth with Leonardo Jardim's team still wallowing in the relegation playoff place. Paris Saint-Germain maintained their 100% record and their best ever start to a league and season as they won 3-0 at the Alliance Riviera against Nice. Neymar notched a brace as Willian Cyprian saw red for the hosts just before the hour mark. In the multiplex, Gangump grabbed their first win of the season with a 1-0 result at Angers as Lyon were left to root a missed penalty by Nabil Fakir as they drew 1-1 with Lowly Nantes. Elsewhere, Strasbourg soared into the top half with a 3-0 victory against Dijon, who have now lost four of their last five. Caen took three points with a 1-0 win at home to Amiens, as Raz held Bordeaux to a goalless draw. On Sunday, Rennes failed to take advantage of having an extra man for a long period of the game, as they drew one all against Toulouse, while Montpellier are up to third after they hammered local rivals Nîmes 3-0. In the final match of the weekend, Lille showed off their improvements as they now sit in second after beating Marseille 3-0. Two penalties from Nicolas Pepe and Jonathan Bamba respectively before the latter scored in another just before the end of the game to push Marseille into sixth. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week by shining a light on some of these teams that have been currently pushing up the table a little stronger than we had expected. And we'll start with the team that got the victory this evening. And we've mentioned them a few times already, Eric, in Lille. They've been really impressive to start the season, but we were waiting for maybe that big statement victory that showed exactly how far they'd come. Well, I think we got it tonight. Yeah, I mean, Marseille... I think we're at their best. I think Payet came on changed the game. If, if he had played the whole match, I think we would have seen something a little bit different. But again, it's a win over Marseille. <clears throat> and given the resources of these clubs, given where they've both been over the past three or four years, you know, Lille's scrapping for relegation, Marseille in the European final, I think this is absolutely a statement win. And I think that it's really a credit to Christophe Galtier to continue to evolve this side. I know that they had started the season very brightly. But the sales of Motiba and Yassine Benzia somewhat upset the team's rhythm in terms of the way that they played attacking football. Having Benzia play as a slightly withdrawn attacking midfielder you know, really allowed a lot of dynamism with his through balls, and Motiba was a, a really nice hold-up striker. But they seem to be you know, evolving. Jonathan Akone has come into the side and used his pace in a different way than Benzia, certainly, but he certainly seems to have established a good rapport with Jonathan Bamba and Nicola Pepe, who again sparkled tonight. And I think it's really a testament to Galtier's intelligence, to his evolution as a manager. 
it, just to, to have this team playing it's, it's bright attacking football with these young players. He was never a, a manager, especially well known for developing young players. I mean, there were a few. You could look at maybe Kurt Zuma, Joshua Gilboji at Saint Etienne, but it's certainly when we think about Saint Etienne under Gaultier, his biggest success, we think about a more veteran side like Stefan Ruffier, Romana Muma, Luke Perrin. So to put the front foot forward with faith in youth and attacking football shows really that Gaultier has a fantastic handling of his resources and an awareness of what he has at his disposal and, and the wherewithal not to, not to limit himself and, and to box himself into what we have known from him, but to really almost reinvent himself as well as a side. So yeah, great, a great result, thoroughly deserved. And I think, you know, Lille without European football, you know, I don't see any reason why they can't stick around in, in terms of this, uh, you know, battle for the top three. Strong words. And that's the interesting thing really about this team, Rich. I mean, when Christophe Galtier came in last season, he did the right thing that we expected him to. He shored up that defense. They were, they were stronger. They were more solid, but the evolution this season to being a, a real entertaining attacking team that we saw especially on the second goal well, obviously the play that led up to the penalty that they can be so so dangerous on the counter-attack and Marseille were were left to rue that this evening because of players like Bamba like Pepe they're just so quick at getting into that attacking third and causing teams real problems yeah that's exactly right I think I think to to, to sort of echo um Eric's praise of Gautier I think you just have to look at how this summer um uh, this summer panned out compared to last summer. You obviously had the you know, the start of the, the the new project under Lopez uh, with, with with Bielsa in charge, and there didn't seem to be a strategy when it came to their transfers and, and their movement in the market. It was just you know young buy them. Don't even think about where they're going to fit in the team. Don't think how how you're gonna how you're gonna set up in games. Don't think about. You know, actually, are these players any good, or are they simply just you know young names that you know, you've you've heard on the wayside? This summer, it seemed a much more strategic transfer window. They identified the play, the, the the positions that they needed to to recruit in, and they went out, researched the players, brought them in, and you know, start the season. We're seeing that it's paying dividends. They're arguably playing some of the best football in the league. Um, even for, you know, I think that's probably an even even further incredible statement because. This is not necessarily a brand of football I would, and I think many would associate with with Gautier. And again, as Eric uh, uh, sort of alluded to before, Gautier's Saint-Étienne side were their most successful when they were organised, defensive, resolute. This is a free-flowing Lille side now. This is a Lille side that love to get on the counter-attack, that have got quick players, that have got Bamba and Pepe who can attack on either side, full-backs that like to get forward, um, you know, ball playing midfielders that will you know, will 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 aid that, but also help out at the back as well. Um, so it's it's a really really entertaining Lille side to see. You know, we saw, you know, with a with a couple of the the goals, the the uh, the penalty awards, just that style of play in perfect action. You know, the sort of one touch passing, the link up play, especially. I mean, Pepe and Bamber are the sort of headline makers. Um, but there are a number of players in that team who who deserve praise. It's just that Bamba and Pepe are, are the ones that ultimately get on the score sheet. But you know that they're, they're, the way that they're all linking up, they seem to be all on the same page, which is you know the complete mirror opposite of sort of the start of this time last this time last season when it really started to fall apart. 
um, under under Bielsa. So it, it's huge credit to Gautier, definitely. It's huge credit to these players, I think, as well, that have responded so positively. Um, it would have been very difficult to have really struggled to pick themselves up after last season and, and the disappointment that they faced. But a lot of these players have recognised, you know what, Gautier seems to have his head switched on. He knows what he wants. He's telling us what he wants. We can then perform that. Um, so at the moment, it's it's a very happy camp. Um, it's a very good-looking squad. Um, there's still, I think, there's still the, I think there's the good thing with Luke is there's still room for improvement. I think, and I think they can still perhaps look at, at one or two, you know, bringing one or two more players when we get to January. But you know, if they're still in the hunt for you know European place, say top six, um, you know, come January, I, I'd see no reason why that top three. I think may be a push. Um, you know, the, the teams that perhaps haven't hit their stride yet probably will. But certainly, uh, you know, you, you would mark them as a heavy favourite for a top sp- top six spot at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. We can praise plenty of the players in the way that the club decided to go in the summer as well. Ke- keeping Xhaka and using him a lot more this season has proved to be a good idea. Fixing up that defence with a little bit more experience in Font, who's, who's been decent, and and uh, Selic has been a, a really positive in that in that back line as well. It's it's really interesting. And the experience of Remy, even though they did move out uh, Motiba, who's doing well at Strasbourg, which is great to see for him personally, at least anyway. It's a really interesting mix. But the, the one thing I wanted to finish on our talk with Lido, at least anyway, uh, Eric was was Galtier again, and I want to circle back to him. It's been a manager that we've always thought did great things at Saint-Étienne, although it wasn't particularly exciting, but there wasn't really necessarily the money to back him. Maybe he has the course here, but do you also think that this is maybe an indictment on those bigger sides in, in Liga? I'm thinking maybe even Marseille, Lyon, to a lesser extent, because they may not have signed him at least, but a bit of an indictment on them to not give him the go after he left Leve. We were thinking, right, he's waiting for the right job to, to make that next step up. But it may be that some people have maybe sort of taken the gamble. Well, the two clubs you mentioned, I think it'd be hard to get... I know Leon fans are frustrated with Genesio, and he's always seemed to make a misstep, but you know the results speak for themselves that Leon had generally gotten to the Champions League under Genesio. They've generally acquitted themselves decently well. I mean, the, being eliminated by Seska in the Europa League last year was frustrating, but you know, topping that group with, with Atalanta at Everton uh, was impressive as well. Or progressing from that group, I should say, was impressive as well. Uh, you know, consistently qualifying for the Champions League. I don't think that Leon have a, would have a right necessarily to dismiss Genesio, uh, given how much turnover there is in that squad. And Marseille, uh, I mean, we talk about reputation. I know Rudy Garcia didn't have the best of times at Roma, but what he did with Lille, you know, I think speaks for itself. You know, winning the double Champions League, uh, that was really impressive as well. So I don't necessarily know that there was a big, quote-unquote, bigger club uh, for whom he would have been a good fit. Uh, you know, and certainly Monaco aren't going to get rid of Leonardo Jardim. I, I think PSG would have been a step too far. I, and I think that if we talk about, okay, yes, those are traditionally successful clubs, clubs that have been successful in the past few years, but I really we should look at Lille as being a sleeping giant. I mean, they have the stadium. Um, they have the culture of recent success. Um, they have you know, a large area from which to draw. I know, yes, I know Lens and Amiens are, are nearby regional rivals, but uh, they aren't a club with a natural natural regional rival 
in close proximity uh, to sort of draw support away from them. So I, I think that maybe the question is, is, is Gaultier, <laughs> I hesitate to use this phrase again, but to make Lille great again. Uh, and and I, I think that he absolutely is. I think that, you know, a, a minimum, even with a minimum of investment, he's shown what he can do. Um, I think that the, that we're seeing now, again, like I said, he's a, he's a coach for whom needs must. I, I think that maybe his profile in terms of improving players would suit a club like Leon with, with some younger players, you know, like looks of a Bertrand Traore or a, a Martin Terrier. But I think that it, I think that by and large, I think that Leon makes sense for him because he's going to be given perhaps a little bit more autonomy. He's going to be a little bit more out of the spotlight. I think it makes sense. Um, I, and I don't think, again, that the clubs, say we look at uh, Marseille, Monaco, and Leon, that any of those clubs really rightfully would have a reason to uh, to want to be shot of their manager uh, within since Gaultier had, had left St. Etienne. And it's it's a confidence booster for him, at least anyway. Many were, were saying that when he took the Leo job, it was sort of a, at the beginning, at least a step down, that it maybe maybe should have reconsidered leaving Saint-Étienne, though it felt like the right time. It's great for him to, to rebound and possibly a bit of cup that now may match his ambitions um, as they never really quite were at Leverre. We'll come on to them a little bit later, really, because they're one team that's doing well. Another team that are doing well as well, Rich, is Montpellier. And I don't think anyone expected this. They've not lost since the opening day of the season now. That's seven games running yes there's three draws in there but four wins as well and they got a real great result today against a, a Nîmes side that can be tough to break down they got a good result in midweek where they had to sort of come from behind as well um, and, and let it loose at the very end but they won't be too disappointed at that but they have the joint best defensive record at the moment with Lille and Paris Saint-Germain both with only six goals conceded but they've been a real surprise and they may be with the mixture that they've added in, that we'll be worried about the defensive side with Roussillon and, and Mukiele going, but adding Delors, adding, adding Laborde up front as well, both um, grabbing goals today as well. It, it's all coming together for them, isn't it? Uh, it is. Uh, and I think, you know, as you, as you touched on there, the, the backbone of, of Montpellier sort of probably ever since they won the title really has been solid in defence. Um, you know they've they've had good goalkeepers, they've had good defence, and that's that's what's got them through some pretty sticky patches. Um, you know since since that title win, um, I, I I had great concerns from the start of the season in terms of of going forward. Um, it has always it has for a couple of years now been a real struggle. I saw the 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 recruitment of of Andy Delore um, of Gaetan Laborde as a big risk. Um, Laborde, we have seen with Bordeaux, he's capable of being a a, a perfectly solid striker. Um, you know, he's not going to set the world alight, but he just seems to have consistency issues. Delors, ever since his return from Mexico, has has never really got close to the heights he hit when he was um, when he was at uh, at Calm, um, and, and tour before that. So. Oh, and obviously, Delors has has also got then the 
a slight attitude issue, I think, that that uh, has perhaps not helped his his progression um, since returning from Mexico. So I think bringing both of those in was a real risk because effectively they were pretty much pinning their hopes. You know, Giovanni Co was was sort of frozen out, and it's now it now looks that he's been he's been shipped out to the to the Middle East in a long move. Um, so they were really pinning their hopes on two strikers who who were by and large fairly unproven certainly inconsistent um and it, well so far it's I'm, you know i have been proved wrong you know the law to give him great credit has knuckled down he's worked hard he's battled hard in each game that he's played he's, he's showing the effort and the desire that i think was certainly lacking um for for quite a few years i think so it's real credit that to, to desakarian that he's got the law back to that back to that level um, I don't think he's necessarily at his best yet, but he's certainly uh, at a level that we haven't seen for some time. And Laborde, again, you know, maybe this is just another little mini hot streak, as we saw with Bordeaux. But you know, we'll 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 see. But again, they're both looking, um, you know, to be to be real positive impact to the team. Um, you add in then Florent Molle. I thought he today was excellent, probably man of the match. I thought the way that he dictated. Um, in that midfield, he was moving to the left, moving to the right. Uh, lovely cross for Laborde's headed headed goal as well. Um, you know, it's great to see him back uh, and playing well. Um, I know he suffered from from injury uh, the last couple of years, uh, and then obviously, you know, Montpellier still have that that very solid defence. You know, Hilton for his age gets a lot of credit at, at forty one now, but you know there are others. You know, Benjamin Lecomte was rightfully rewarded with a call up to the. The French team last time out. Uh, I think Pedro Mendes has been a very underrated signing since moving to to Montpellier from Rennes last season. I think he's been an excellent foil for uh, for Hilton. Um, Daniel Congres again is a perfectly adequate uh, adequate backup. Um, Ruben Aguilar, I thought last season when he played looked really good. Um, he started this season well as well. So it's it's you know all things looking good. I still reserve judgment on whether Delors and Laborde can keep this up for a sustained period of time. I think the real test will be if or when that lean spell for both of those comes. And, you know, then then we'll see, you know, how, how Montpellier can fare and whether they have enough to get through without without strikers perhaps in form at that time. But for the time being, you know, they've they've gone out each game, they've worked hard. Um, you know, it's it's another it's another one where we have to we have to credit the coach. Um, it's not been the easiest of jobs since that title win at Montpellier, as as, as numerous managers can probably attest to. But you know, Desakarian has come in. Um, he's obviously got history with the club, um, and at the moment, you know, he's getting a a on paper not a terrific looking team, but he's getting them all playing at their best. Um, and getting the results to to merit it as well. So you know, it's it's hats off to Desakarian. Yeah, it's strange to think that we sort of <laughs> criticise his his defensive style, really, Eric Desakarian. With it, we had it at Nolte, and the the fans weren't happy at all with it, and they eventually <clears> left. It never really worked out at Ras either in League Two, but it, it was a surprise to see him come through the door at Montpellier. But he has had really two terrific seasons. Oh. Well, a season and a half at least anyway so far with the team. I mean, we were pinning them to potential 
relegation candidates if they didn't get their act together. But they certainly have. And especially today, this was sort of, again, a, a watershed moment, despite not really having played a major team just yet. And it might be a little further down the line before they, they do really until sort of November time, surprisingly. So they've got a lot of space to work in at least. But this was uh, with a local derby against a team that does like to play attacking dangerous football. They really, really dominated that game. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's something that shouldn't go un- unmentioned either. That obviously this is a big rivalry restored to, to Liga for the first time, I believe, in 25 years. Uh, and that w- we've seen from Nîmes how how this team can get at players. I know missing Tashi Savanier makes a difference for this team. We shouldn't fool ourselves on that. He's he's not exactly caught the eye the, the way some players like a, a Renan Ripar or a Sada Thube have. But uh, I don't think we should underestimate how important his influence is on Nîmes in that center of midfield. But again, yeah, I, just echoing Rich's points, I think that that it's that, that makes it even more impressive. Yet no, Neem are not a PSG. They're not they're not a Leon. But I think that what we've seen in Liga and in recent seasons is that we have uh, every year there seem to be sort of these teams that bubble under for a while but can't get it done against supposed lowly op- lowlier opposition and that that trips them up, whether it be not in recent seasons having a tilt at Europa League and, and falling then falling short at the end due to the losses that you wouldn't perhaps expect them to have or a draw here and there. But I, I think that this particular edition of Montpellier is, is much, much, much more clinical, much more focused, um, and has, again, in Florent Mole, a player who makes this team tick by offering not only creativity, which, I mean, to be fair, they did have, they have had in years past, like Savriad Boudabouz, even Stéphane Sessegnon when he was on his game. You had a, a fair modicum of creativity in that side, but um, what you perhaps didn't have is an ability to work, to drive, to to play in that hard-pressing, aggressive style that Dzhakarian favors so strongly. And I think that looking at the signs of Delore on the board, again, yeah, they are fitful goal scorers. I, I'm not going to shy away from that, but uh, we saw from Delore his best you know, his pressing from the front was very integral to uh, Caen's best performances under Patrice Garand. And that we're seeing that again here. That it, there's a hunger and a willingness to fight. And that also we've seen, we've seen too, that Dershikarian has, has a track record of improving players. Uh, we think about how uh, Skiri and Sambia have improved uh, in that midfield. We can echo the likes of perhaps Jordan Veretu and Valentin Ranger as, as really having come to the fore under Dzhakarian uh, when he was in charge not three or four years ago. Again, yes, those teams were playing someone negative football, but he still has a good eye for developing players and for getting the best out of them. Uh, I think Nicola Casa is, is another one that's coming down the pike that I think we can be very impressed. He's uh, He played, I believe, at center back this afternoon, but is also capable of playing as left-sided wing back. So there's a lot more to come, I think, from this team. Again, you know, we haven't seen them against the big sides, quote-unquote, but I think that uh, winning what you know was potentially a very, very, dif- very, very difficult derby today uh, is a big feather in their cap, and and they really deserve uh, the position that they're in. And you know, I don't necessarily know that they have quite the weapons that a, a Lille or a Saint Etienne do going forward. But I think that this is a side that should continue to be in the conversation for at least the top six uh, come season's end. 
And that's a real positive for them. They wouldn't have even imagined necessarily at the start of the season they would be anywhere near that. And, and a side that maybe probably wanted to be in that sort of direction, but have really impressed so far this season, especially given what happened at the start of last season, at least, is Saint-Etienne. Uh, Rich got a strong 2-0 win against the side there. <laughs> we'll be moving on to in a moment who haven't impressed so far. But for Saint-Etienne, they're, they're playing entertaining football and it looks like the the, the decision to sign YB Kazri with a form he showed at Ren last season, especially in this one, shows to have, have been a, an inspired move. Uh, absolutely. You know, he's running again. Um, he's proven the player that I wish, you know, that I wish we'd managed to have kept hold of. Um, but no, Santetian are looking, are looking very good. Um you know, Gasse is sort of again. He's another one that's that's continued his good form from last season. He obviously came in under slightly peculiar circumstances, shall we say, last season. Um, but he's got the you know he's got the team playing really well. I think um, you know you look at the the um, uh, the starting eleven that he's putting out in games now, and it's it's looking a very very strong starting eleven from front to back. Um, I think the summer signings have have all slotted in perfectly, um, and yeah, I mean it's a it really is a starting eleven. You saw that the uh, the match on Friday against you know you you looked at that team and you thought yeah that's a settled eleven they're going to play well and they did and and as you said we'll come on to Monaco and it's the complete opposite for them. Um, you know it's it's obviously the the likes of of Kazri will will get the plaudits. But it's great to see people like uh, Lois Dioni um, starting to get back to his best. He had a very difficult year last year, um, struggled to make an impact at Saint-Étienne, was then sent out on loan to, to Bristol City, where he didn't have a, a particularly good time there either. But he's back now. I think he's scored a couple of goals. Um, they've obviously got Cabela on a permanent now. Um, he's going to, you know, he's, he's going to make an impact. But behind them... Um, and obviously, Kazri as well. And behind them, you've got you've got uh, Jan and Via, um, and you've got uh, Selnais as well. I think both are very underrated players. I think and Via, since he's he's joined um, from his uh, his time in Russia, I think has been really good. Um, and I think he's quietly, very very quietly, gone about doing his business. And it's been really, it's been a real real pleasure to see him back playing regularly. Looking happy, looking fit, playing well, um, and then Selnice as well is is proving you know V is nice to to sit in front of that defence, provide that bit of protection, and then Selnice then is sort of the link then between between defence and attack, and he's proving a perfect foil for that. He got another assist today. I think that's three assists in three games for him now. Um, all of that then in front of a of a very solid defence and a very solid goalkeeper. So as a starting eleven, I think there's perhaps maybe a minor issue with depth um, in that in that Santetian team. I don't necessarily think the players that they can bring in to replace those are perhaps as strong. There's one or two decent names on the bench, but I think depth is perhaps an issue. That if if Santetian have hopes of a maybe a top four spot that they might need to address come January, but as far as starting 11s go. It's 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 certainly up there to rival many many in the league because you know, they're all playing well. They all seem to know what what they're doing on the pitch, and that's that that's the beauty of having a settled eleven. 
is that every player seems to be able to then develop that on-field relationship with with the other ten players, and it and it just works wonders. And again, it's another side that are just profiting from having a, a system in place that everybody understands. It's clear where the team wants to go, um, and it's working. And that's the funny thing, Rich. People might listen to that and think that, well, yeah, surely that's what every team should be like. But if you watch Santatina this time last season, that was exactly the antithesis of what they they were. They they looked like strangers out on the pitch. They looked like they had no plan and were, were wandering into a, a relegation fight. They eventually sort of pulled themselves out of at least. But Eric, the, the interesting thing I like about this team at the moment compared to, to years past is just options. And Rich mentioned a few there. You've got Cabela obviously brought in, maybe Kazri, but you've also got Yannis Saliber they've brought on loan. You've still got Hamuma there and Moni Pake, who are a serviceable player players, Lois Dioni's playing much more like the, the Dijon version of him than the, than potentially the Bristol City version of him. We barely saw at least anyway. But um, the fact that they have more of that and still have a solid midfield in front of a of a still decent defence, even though Ruffier had that mistake um, last weekend, really, that was very, very rare on his account as well. Still a very good goalkeeper. They're just a solid team again, back to front, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, this, this is really... Uh... Gaste in 2018. I mean, he had this team playing very well down the back end of last season uh, in contention for Europe, which was incredible given where they were uh, during the trev, the winter break. Uh, and he's continued on from that. I, I'm not really all that surprised. I think that, that again, you've got such a, a level of versatility that as long as Gaste keeps that, de- that defensive base, playing in 4-2-3-1 and giving attacking freedom to that front four, they're going to have success. I mean, the one slip-up I would say that Saint-Etienne had was against PSG. Now, again, losing to PSG, there's no, there's no shame in that, but the frustration in that match was that Gasset, for some reason, uh, tried to play some sort of a 3-4-1-2, 3-4-3, I don't know what it was, uh, but trying to use Gabriel Silva and Kevin Monepeque as wingbacks, you know, <laughs> it's never going to work. It didn't work. Uh, it left uh, the likes of Perrin woefully exposed in terms of his pace. Uh, up against Draxler, who, who really taunted them. So that result aside, I, I think that Saint-Étienne have, again, as you both have alluded to, a really wonderful balance, and to be able to have that quality off the bench. Now, again, none of these players, I, I think, are what one would call consistent. You know, we love the talent that Kasri could be, but it's always been a half-season here, a five-match run there. Um, Cabela, maybe a little bit more so. He struggled with injury. I think he's missed a handful of matches this season. Um, Dione, the same thing. Uh, Robert Barrich has been effective, but uh, but when fit, again, fitness has been a huge concern for him. The same with Salaber. But I think there's enough characters there in terms of just a basic level of talent that the Jean-Louis Gasset can continue to say, okay, well, you know, if Amuma's not on his game today, if Monipeque is not on his game today, if Dione's not on his game, I've got a, a full complement full of attackers. That that's that's perhaps not what he really had last season. Arnaud Arnaud Nodin, a young player as well, who's spent some time on loan. Uh, you know, perhaps is fighting to get get uh, some time if if Saint-Étienne have uh, perhaps a lengthy uh, run in the League Cup or in the Coupe de France. So yeah, again, that de- that depth and attack is is going to impress. I mean. I might want to see a little bit more depth, particularly at fullback. Uh, the fact that they did play three at the back of the league was down to Debussy being absent. Uh, the, that's a little bit frustrating. I mean, I don't know really know what their options are at, at fullback beyond 
Silva and and um, Debussy. And there's I know there's there's Colo, but is he going to be used as more as a center back or more of a left back? You also have I believe Shaken Benke is still in their books, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, depth could be an issue. But again, I, I really like the continuity, uh, even the guest is established in terms of a philosophy. I mean, there has been a fair amount of turnover in that playing staff, to be fair. Uh, but the signs they've made are really astute, and Gasset has a clear idea of what he wants to do. And I think that that, that in and of itself, even if it's not perfect every time out, you know, there can be some times when they're not as solid defensively with that match against Toulouse, for example. But I think that having a clear plan in place, even at that very basic level, does do a lot to put Saint-Étienne streets ahead of other sides who may have, uh, pardon me, similar resources and goals. And that's, uh, that's the interesting thing for them is just making sure that they can stay the course now, really, because one team that isn't doing that at all is the team they beat on Friday night in Monaco. Rich, we talked about them on, on Thursday, really, that they've been pretty disappointing so far and, and, the, and the midweek result really compounded that. But at the same time, this one, we feel like, OK, press the reset button, let's try something different. But the two goals from a defensive perspective have uh, just pretty woeful despite them being good strikes from Kazri there's absolutely no one around him during the moments where we had to put it in and they tried something different they tried mixing it around a little bit changing even changing formation slightly but they just don't seem to have any kind of plan together at the moment Monaco they, they seem like what it felt like in the summer like 11 strangers playing on a football field yeah and that's that's the worrying thing is that you know we've we've all sort of understood the project at Monaco uh, and we've understood that it's it's a cyclical um, cyclical pro- uh, cyclical project in so much as they bring the players in they develop them they sell them on to buy more players and that works fine um, the problem that we've now got is that so many have have left and the the cycle seems to be taking a little, a little bit longer because they're having to go younger. Uh, we talked about this, I think, at the start of the season. They're having to go younger in the the, the the you know the plays. Previously, they were looking at 18, 19 year olds. Now they're having to look at 16, 17 year olds. And the problem they've now got is, of course, they they are left with a position where they've almost got too many of these inexperienced. But you know, they're, they're talented players. That's not it's not doubt that they are talented players, but. They're very raw players. A lot of these youngsters that they brought in, and they're not—they're not necessarily ready to to help launch a top three campaign in Ligue 1 at the moment. It it, it will come. I've, of that, I have no doubt. Um, you look at the team that was put out on Friday night. Um, Jemison got the chop. He was—he's been a victim of the the early season form, and he was—he was cut entirely. But it was a. You know, it, it felt it's almost like it was a, a you know, cutting your nose to spite your face because they then brought in Andrea Raggi. Now I don't have, you know, quite like Andrea Raggi, but he's not the player that Monaco need right now. Um, you know, it's and then well, you look at the rest of the the, the, the lineup. You know, they had Kevin Underham again, talented player, barely played much football. You've got Adama Traore, talented player. Injury has forced him to play limited amount of football. Sophie Andy, talented player from Rennes, the breakthrough into the Rennes team. Yet here we are, and he's been chucked into the fray with with Monaco, and he's he's struggling. Um, and you, you just hope that it doesn't affect them too bad. But again, not much, not much first team football. 
Musa Silla, talented player, not a lot of football. And the list goes on with all these youngsters who are, I keep stressing, they're talented, but they're not yet ready. Or certainly they're not yet ready to have so many um, in, a, in a starting 11. Um, and it's, it's really struggling. Jardim is really struggling to work out what his best 11 is. Um, I haven't, don't have the stats with me, but I would, I'd be gobsmacked if there were any fewer than three changes between matches this season. I would, I would hedge a bet. You're looking at probably four or five changes. It feels like match after match. He doesn't yet know that first time. Now we're used to that, you know, season after season, Jardim has faced that same problem, but normally by this, by this point in the season, we've at least got an idea that he knows roughly what his team will be looking like. I don't, I still don't think he does. We've seen him dabble with formations. We've seen him dabble with so many players playing in such a variety of positions. I really don't think he's particularly any closer to knowing what his ideal, you know, strongest, best first 11 is. And if he doesn't know, and we're, we're what are we? Week eight, are we now? Um, you know, you have to wonder how much longer is this going to go and how much longer can Monaco afford it to go? And that's not me saying that Jardine's job's on the line, but that's not me saying that by a long shot. But it's simply saying of how damaging to this project will it be if they don't make, well, if they don't make, let's let's go with how damaging to the project will it be if they don't make Champions League football. I think it's potentially pretty damaging. Um, but at the moment in time, you have to say, well, how damaging will it be if they don't make European football at all? Um, which at the moment, it's looking like that that could be a, you know, that could be something that, that happens. You know, PSG are obviously away with it. We've got Lyon and Marseille will will pick things up, uh, but have all ultimately haven't played, still picked up point. Talked about earlier in the show, we've got Lille, Saint-Etienne, Montpellier, all performing really, really well. Um, and then, you know, you've, you've then got, you know, a couple of other teams then who are perhaps just off that a little bit. Yeah, that's a lot of, lot of making up that Monaco need to do. And if, you know, unless unless Jardim gets that starting eleven sussed, I don't see any particular end to this run of form and this run of disjointedness that we're seeing. Um, it, it's it's a real problem. Um, I I don't envy Jardim because I I couldn't really tell you what uh, Monaco's strongest eleven would be right now. I really couldn't. You know, you would you would say, you know, Golovin has got to come into there at some point now. He's He's obviously took a, took a while to get back from the World Cup and regain fitness. Um, he's got a couple of substitute appearances under his belt. You would have to say he comes into the starting eleven. Um, his substitute appearances have been perhaps a limited bright spot um, for Monaco in recent weeks. Um, aside from that, there's there just seems to be an over reliance on players, senior players who aren't playing well, and youngsters who just seem too phased. So it's it's a real problem for Monaco, and uh, it's. Uh, I think it's still yet uh, yet some time off of uh, of solving itself. Hmm. There's a lot of young players coming into this team, like you say, Richard, and underperforming uh, older players is where I want to focus a little bit more, at least f- to finish off this this talk about Monaco, Eric. Uh, I mean, like Rich mentioned, Jemison was the one for the chop this weekend, although he's still the young. Tillemans again was was someone who missed out as well. Um, but Kamil Glick, Raji, Benalio, none of them are really, City Bay as well, none of them are, are really taking the mantle of, of bringing these young players together and, and taking it by the scruff of the neck. And if anything, 
they're making as many mistakes as the players around them. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that, but I I do think also that I'm not ready to condemn this Monaco team yet. I know the placement in the table says I should do otherwise. I know it's it's been it's been frustrating for fans of this team, um, as I think they've developed a little bit more global recognition in the past few years, given their exploits in the Champions League. But if we, but there have been other bright spots too. Yusef Ait Benasser, I think, has really looked comfortable uh, as a central midfielder. But without Ronnie Lopez, without Stefan Jovetic, without um, Daniel Subasic, without Alexander Golovin, I believe Falcao has missed a couple matches as well. Benjamin Henricks is still is still finding his feet in in Liga and looks and has looked good when he has played. Uh, we know what kind of player uh, Jean Yudes Aulu is. So I, I don't think that as frustrating as this start is, it's not anything that uh, this team can't come back from. I think I think back as a Leon fan to the 2010-2011 season. I believe Leon started with something like one, one win, one draw, and five losses in their first seven matches. It was a really horrendous start to the season, and I, I believe they finished to re- they recovered to finish fourth. I, I think that there's simply too many weapons in this Monaco side for them not to not to come good. I, I know Jemerson's been immensely frustrating, um, but I think that again. You know, once Jardim has a fully fit complement side of complement of players, uh, I think that he can really drive this team on. Uh, he may have been a little bit undone by that late sale of of Keita Balde as well. I don't know that. I, I know he was a player who wasn't as influential, say, as Falcao or Ronnie Lopez last season, but certainly contributed hit more than his fair share of goals. And to have him leave so late in the window, I think may have perhaps unsettled this team because if we look at this team. Okay, I'll put out what I think is an ideal Monaco eleven, and I think we can look at that that midfield as being, you know, probably best served by 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 a four two three one. I been asked there alongside Aulu, uh, and then you would look at at Lopez, Golovin, and, and Balde before Balde's departure across that front three. Now, now in the meantime, though, we don't really have a natural fit on that right side, and and I think that's the thing he's tried. You know, a raft of younger players there, and I don't know that any of them have particularly distinguished themselves. Maybe, maybe Grant. You know, he's he, he tried Granser, uh, Nasser Chadley's been brought in, Jordi Mbula, Sofian Diop, uh, but there's not really uh, been a, a good balance to that side in attack, and I and there's been an over reliance on very very young players, and again, so I think the future's still unwritten for this side. I I'm not really willing to be pessimistic. I think that Leonardo Jardim is simply too accomplished of a manager. He's just really been hamstrung by injuries, uh, and he doesn't necessarily have, uh, you know, a level of reliability that he might like, uh, particularly in midfield. I mean, the thing is, we say, oh, he's, he keeps turning it over, he keeps turning it over. Yes, but I think that that, underse- that undersells um, just how important uh, Fabinho was for this team. Uh, I know that we talk about the, the brilliance and flair of Bernardo Silva, Thomas Lamar, and, and, and all, the, all the other players there, the Benjamin Mendy. But uh, Fabinho was a constant throughout all that. He doesn't have him now. He doesn't have that uh, center of gravity, that, 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 uh, that level of protection in midfield. Um, 
I think Ait Ben Aser is a fantastically skilled player, so is Aulu, but they're both a little bit more uh, offensively minded than is Fabinho. And I think that that's something that Jardim is cognizant of, but has yet to really digest it into how he adapts his team to play tactically. So that for me is really, is really the crux of this, is that there is a best 11 there, but it needs to be sussed in such a way that allows uh, this team to develop without with all the players that Jardim was hoping for to be available to him. Uh, so I think the jury's still out, but uh, it certainly is disappointing uh, given the start to the season they had. But I mean, that being said, reflect back on the Champions League match. They played all right against Atletico, perhaps we're even unlucky to lose. Um, and so there's, there's, it hasn't been all gloom and doom. In the league, I think, yes, it's been frustrating, but I don't think that it's, it's time to start the hand-wringing yet. And this is the thing. I think if, if you've cast your mind back a couple of seasons ago when they still had Anthony Marshall, they had a great second half to a season. It's just to show that the Jardim maybe just needs that time to, to pull them together and maybe the second half of the season may be a bit more successful. That's, actually, Nathan, that's an absolutely amazing point because he did in that season uh, switch that system around to give um, – more focus to Bernardo Silva, to Yannick Ferrer-Crasco, and to Anthony Marshall. He completely evolved that team in the second half and got them uh, back into Europe. And, you know, what's to stop him from doing that at this point in time? Hmm. Uh, I think, with especially with Monaco at the moment as well, maybe they just need another big break. Maybe that one after next weekend when we go back to international football, he can, he can reassess a couple of the players, won't go on to international duty. Maybe he can work something then and reset things and uh, head on from there. But we'll wait and see if they can turn things around. We're going to head to European action at least anyway which returns in midweek and involves several league sides and let's start with the Champions League and PSG who didn't get off to the greatest of starts Rich but they face the easiest game in the group and that's being uh, well as kind as possible to Red Star because they are in a in a very tough group as it is but um, this one especially at home should be a nailed on one and at the same time has to be a nailed on one as well uh, it does and I think it's probably important as well but the performance is good as well. Uh, win is obviously, first and foremost, the most important thing uh, off the back of the defeat at Anfield. But it was, I mean, we spoke about it after the game. Uh, although they were, they were seconds away from getting a point, it was still a pretty poor, pretty limp performance. So I think it's also important then, first time game in the Champions League, they, they, they put on a professional performance. It's not about flair. It's not about fancy tricks. It's getting the result. It's putting in a positive performance. Um, that's that's the most important thing. Um, you know, ultimately, if they don't, and, and worst case scenario, they don't take all three points, they're in a, a real world of trouble. Um, as you say, this on paper is the easiest of games. It won't it, it won't be an easy game. Um, Red Star obviously put in a really good performance against Napoli in their first game at home. Um, but PSG should be winning this, should be winning this comfortably. But I really, really want to see a professional performance. I want to see those those senior players, those important key players to PSG, standing up, showing them, actually, you know what, we're taking this to this tournament this year deadly serious. We're, we're, we're in it to win it. Um, and, you know, here is a performance that will will demonstrate that. Uh, I don't mean we we didn't see that for uh, in the in the first game against Liverpool. 
Um, this is a chance that they can put that behind them. Um, they can now think, well, you know what? That's behind us. Yet yeah, we played poorly. Yet yeah, we were seconds away from getting a point. But look, let's move on. Let's go out. Let's let's put in a strong performance. Let's get the three points, because of course they then face a trip to Napoli um, in in the following in the following round, which will be a another tricky game. So it's vital that the win is secured, but I think it's almost as important that the performance is strong as well. Yeah, let's get back to winning ways. Will be the the mantra, I'm sure, from from Thomas Tuchel in midweek uh, and on to. Aside, they did win their first game of the campaign for Leon, and they had well, they have Shakhtar visiting them, who grabbed a draw in their first game. They'll be possibly even still riding off that high against Man City, despite the draw at the weekend, Eric, which is a little bit disappointing. But they may have had a a little shifty glance at least at this game in midweek because they know that a victory here with one of their home games puts them in a really, really strong position heading into uh, the, the third round of things and how vital that could be in terms of getting into the next round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that it... I don't want to jinx anything. But yeah, six, six points from two matches would have them, you know, at worst be two points ahead of... of well, two points ahead of Hoffenheim, who they, they would then face uh, if, if Hoffenheim were to beat City, who they, they would then face in their next two matches with you know, a chance to get at least a split there, you know, all but qualifying for the, for the round of 16. Uh, and still, you know, a very, very good chance of, of finishing top of the group, which I think few would have expected when the draw was made. So I, I was pretty frustrated with the match yesterday, though. I, I think that um, I don't doubt that Leon can get themselves back up for this, but I think that they didn't pay not enough respect and that was frustrating to see. You know, they're thinking, oh, you know, Cardoso's the last match. This team's never not been much up to much. But not showed, you know, that just as Leon themselves did against Manchester City, that if you don't give us the time of day, if you don't give us credit, if you think you can walk this, it's going to come back and bite you. And it did. Uh, you know, again, Fakir's missed penalty. Okay, yeah, it's frustrating. But, I mean, for what he's given to this club over the last four or five seasons uh, since he broke through, I'm... I'm more than willing to begrudge him that. Uh, and bearing that in mind, it, it was frustrating to see, but I, I think that Leon have it in them to, to refocus and to play well against Shakhtar. You're going to get a full match out of Tangi and Dombele. Uh, Luka Tussar, I think, will, will, be, will be fit. He'll, he'll probably partner him in midfield. Hussam Awar had, did have a nice match the other day. I was kind of surprised he played as extensively as he did. But again, you're going to have this team back at full strength. Um, and I, I think that's going to make a big difference. So, yeah, I would look for Leon to, to put uh, Shakhtar to the sword. They haven't, they didn't look, I mean, I only saw the highlights of their draw against Hoffenheim, but they didn't look the most organized defensively, and I think that I think that that's something that Leon, with all that individual talent, you think about Bertrand Traore, Memphis Depay, if he's in the mood, perhaps even Moussa Dembele, um, certainly have the ability to put uh, the Ukrainian side to the sword. And it's yeah, it's, it's it's extra frustrating when they gave a couple of players the rest in midweek and got a really good result and gave some of the, the, the a couple of players that like Terrier and, and Dembele a bit more confidence. Disappointing that they couldn't match that at the weekend, but they hope that the Ukrainian side might be a, 
and another interesting test. And an interesting test for Monaco, and it doesn't really get easier for them in their group because they obviously played Atletico on the week one, and they face have to head to Germany to take on Borussia Dortmund in week two, who've had a, a decent couple of well, a decent week. I don't think anyone will begrudge a seven 0 win, and then beating Leverkusen at the weekend as well, although a little bit of difficulty in that one. But high scoring at the moment as well. That's not the kind of team that a Monaco side bereft of confidence that is leaking goals with their leaky defence. That's not the kind of team you want to be facing. Uh, it's not, but it, it, in a weird way, it could just be what the doctor ordered. Um, I would argue that in terms of a 45-minute performance, their, their first half performance against Atletico Madrid was probably Monaco's best 45 minutes of the season so far certainly one of their best 45 minutes of the season so far. Um, it's not going to be an easy game. Dortmund are going to be all out attack. Um, so I think what Monaco have to use is is a little bit of, of I mean, going, you know, calling back to those youngsters and those raw players. Well, if you're going to chuck them in, I would say chuck them into the into the Champions League. You know, that's that's, that's probably where they're going to thrive. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a great... It's a great um, um, Part of for, Part of for uh, a great uh, place for them to, place to sort of get some experience. experience. Um, um, it's, it's Champions League. It brings with it its own sort of special moments that a lot of those youngsters will love. So I, I you know, I say for the, this game, throw your youngsters on. Um, you know, I think it's a case of of give a statement to those senior players who've failed to deliver. Um, and and you know, it's I don't see them qualifying from this group. And so for Monaco, it's a case of, well, let's 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 at least try and get a little bit of, maybe a little bit of form, but let's also give these youngsters at least something to be excited about that might then rub off onto onto league form. So um, I'm not I'm not anticipating a win, but I am I'm, I am anticipating a slightly improved performance from Monaco. Mm, and maybe this is a chance for for Monaco to, to have an eye on something else for a little bit instead to try and uh, try and ease things a little bit at least as much as the, as much as they can. Uh, Eric, on to Eric, Europa League action Europa now, League and Bordeaux are facing Copenhagen. They, they had a disappointing result in that first first game. Uh, they, they need to get a result in this one if they want to progress. With, with progress, with with coming in a double header, coming in a straight after those. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Copenhagen actually lost at the weekend, uh, somewhat surprisingly, uh, to slip into second in the Danish League. Uh, I'm not trying to I watch the Danish League, but there's a few names uh, for Copenhagen that people might recognize. Nikolai Thompson, who was uh, a bit of a head case at Mount. Pierre Benson, who was at loan, on loan at Bastia recently. Uh, from Mainz is there as well. But I, I don't think that this Copenhagen side have really enough to, to trouble Bordeaux. I, I know that they were a little bit profligate at the weekend. But I think that Bordeaux, by and large, have been fairly impressive going forward. Uh, you think about the, the the young players like Samuel Kalou and Francois Kamino. Jimmy Briand's been, uh, you know, up to his old tricks again. He's still got a decent amount left in his locker. I, there's still some questions about the fullbacks, about the about the defense. Um, but I I would say that that Bordeaux, you know, they got a good a good win over Lille in midweek. Um, they beat Gangamp a match. Yeah, they were supposed to win. So I think the results since that Slavia Prague game uh, have been, by and large, positive for the Chalentin. And, you know, sitting ninth place in the table, not too far from the top six in terms of points. Uh, 
uh, I think that there's enough here to have this be a redemptive, a redemptive restart, if you will, to a Bordeaux's European campaign. And it'll be interesting to watch interesting indeed. Um, on to Ren now. Uh, Rich and they've had a, a disappointing result this weekend with the with the 1-1 draw where they really almost certainly should have put it away. And th- at the same time, they struggled to pull away, pull away from Yablonek. And now it's a long, long trip to Kazakhstan to face at Stana um, on Thursday night. That's going to take a lot out of them. And um, any legs that the strikers have at the moment is going to be uh, washed away a little bit. It's, it's going to be a tough trip, isn't it? It'd be a very tough trip. Never easy, um, those long haul trips for European football. Um, I believe, although I'm open to be corrected, I believe Astana also play on a synthetic pitch as well, um, which is obviously something slightly different. Um, they're getting fewer and far between in France, so the sort of plastic pitch that they might be playing on will, will, will also be um, thrown into to the difficulty for them. Um, it's it's going to be a test. I would perhaps argue um, it's it's... I think purely for the distance involved, I would suggest it's possibly their trickiest game, although the trip to Kiev maybe would rival that. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. They're going to come up against the former player in, in Pedro Henrique. Um, I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, Ren have been so disappointing the last few weeks. Um, fairly Fairly clear problems, I think, within that team that, they perhaps failed to address in in hindsight um, since the summer, um, and just an, a sheer inability to to hold on to a lead. Um, so they're they looking very 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 fragile, even when they're ahead in games, and arguably even more fragile when they're when they're ahead in games because this is starting to become a bit of a a running trend now. I think it's all but one of their games this season they've gone ahead, and 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 you know the majority of those games have failed to hold on to to for at least a point so i i'd like i'd like to see that that they can come away with something um i thought again you know performance wise it wasn't too bad against Yablonek. it was just again that final quarter they failed to take their chances um astana perhaps might not be as 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 kind as as Yablonek were uh, and are going to pose a far bigger attacking threat so uh, I think it's going to be tough, and I think if they can come away with a point, that's probably a job well done, I think. Mm, yeah, let's wait and see. I'm pretty sure they'll be delighted to get a little bit of something from away from home if they can, because that's such a, such a long trick for, for any team to have to take. The final game in the Europa League action this week is going to see Marseille heading to Cyprus to take on Apollon Nicosia. It's always a an interesting European staple almost, Apollon at the moment, really, Eric, whether it be um, Champions League or Europa League. But uh, Marseille having lost that home game, especially to Eintracht Frankfurt, despite the Germans being a, a decent side and everything like that, it's absolutely vital for their European campaign for them to get a victory here. To get a victory here. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, obviously with, with that doubleheader against Lazio coming up, Lazio, you know, have their own their own battle to fight in Serie A, which looks very, very competitive this season in terms of their top four race. Uh, but neither again can Marseille afford to slip up too much uh, in this in this Europa League state. I, I think that given Marseille's ambitions to reach the Champions League domestically, 
I think that they can't really afford to take a total flyer on this. They should expect for progress, at the very least, to buoy their coefficient number. So, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, we think back to Leon's battle against uh, Akwell Nikoshia a few years ago, and what a dogged, nasty fight that was. Uh, I don't know if that's especially emblematic of Cypriot football, but I, I do think that this is going to be a match that's going to challenge uh, Marseille in, in a way that they perhaps don't see in a way week in, week out in Liga. And I, I would say perhaps a scoreless draw, a 1-1 draw. I, I don't see this being a high-scoring match. I don't see Marseille uh, you know, playing the sort of attacking free-flowing football that we're used to seeing from them. Uh, they will have Jordan Amabi back. I, I think that's that, that can't be undersold, uh, given how dynamic he could be on that left-hand side. Hiroki Sakai, you know, can't really do a job there, uh, and neither can Bukar Kamara. So it's important to have uh, the former Nice and Aston Villa man back. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't expect a whole lot from Marseille, but um, I, I think this could be. I don't know. I don't want to say the end for Marseille's European campaign, but. Uh, I don't see them taking that much off of Lazio and, and, and failing to win here, which I don't see them doing, uh, could put them in a very difficult position, I think. Absolutely. And I, I do apologise to Apollon Limassol fans, of course. It's not Nicus here who hires me in the first place, at least. Anyway, let's uh, let's go on to our Liga and snapshots to finish off uh, and what we've missed from our Liga weekend. We covered it quite extensively this weekend, but there's always a couple of stories that slip through the, tra- uh, slips through the, uh, the cracks, as it will. Rich, what's your Liga snapshot? Uh, mine's actually just one actually looking forward, perhaps not back, and just with one eye on the fourth on the fourth on on Thursday, when when Didier Deschamps announces his his French squad for the friendly against Iceland and the Nations Cup game against Germany, um, purely because there's potentially some some big league interest in in a couple of of possible new call ups, uh, with Tolisso definitely out. It's looking like Mtiti will be out as well, and Benjamin Mendy as well. Um, the hot favourites, according to a number of sources, are that, that uh, Tongi Ndombele and Fernand Mendy will be coming in for Tolisso and Benjamin Mendy. And I don't think few can argue against either of those call-ups. I think both have been hugely impressive. Um, I think Ndombele has, has, in the last week, put in three of the performances of the season so far and, and may go on to be performances of the season that will struggle to be beaten. Um, he was he was not re- he was not uh, he was rested. Sorry for the the game at the weekend, and it was noticed. Um, I think for for Leon's performance, so I think his call up for for Francis would be justly a uh, just reward for his performance. And Furlan Mendy, um, you know, has has come from from Ligue 2. Um Obviously, a real stellar season with Leon last season. Started off this season in equally good fashion, and then the two that are in line for a call up in place of MTT. Um, are Americk Laporte, who I think we probably all would have as as next in line, um, but also a number of people putting in in for for Abdou Diallo. Um, he's obviously started his Dortmund career very well. Has enjoyed his time in Germany since leaving Monaco. Um, so it's uh, you know it's an exciting time I think for some uncapped players because there's huge opportunities I think now for this international break to to stake a claim. And that's one we'll look forward to. Eric, what's your snapshot? Florent Mollet's free kick against Nîmes. Uh, 35 yards out, 40 yards out. You, you, 
you all watching this match as well, Rich? I know you were. Hey, distance, yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's not a oh, but I, I mean that that would have been one for the ages if it had that gone in. I just a real reminder of his talent. I I think that I can't emphasize enough. You know what a fantastic player this is. Someone with a great level of creativity, inventiveness, but also willingness to work hard. Uh, I think he scored seven goals in the second half of last season for Mets. Uh, you know, which is really impressive given the the dire state that they were in, and he's taken that that inventiveness, that verve that drive to Montpellier side that uh, are better suited defensively to allow him just that bit more freedom to really express himself. And I think we're seeing, you know, now a player who could potentially reach double figures in assists uh, and really drive Montpellier as they continue to press for European football, which is, you know, no mean feat given this player was uh, signed by Mess on a, on a free, I believe from Ligue 2. And yeah, rem- remembering that he had that wonderful goal earlier this season as well. It's not swerved in and out. He's, 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 a, he's a great little player. Um, that will do it for this week. Um, uh, my thanks to Rich, Eric, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show on Thursday, and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto, and goodbye.